to the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Stockton, here yet again with Connor Josh. And Connor, what's up? Oh, nothing much, man. I'm excited about pans. We got some uh, some good jujitsu to talk to, to talk about. Uh, you know, how, how's your weekend been, though? Yeah, it's. I mean, a lot of lot of work. A lot mm-hmm. of back to the, the lifting regime again. Doing some Uh-oh. some training in the garage, and you know, just polishing up the old uh, old wheelhouse. I like to see that. I like to see that. This is the journey of Swole Corey, so I think this is week one of it. You may not see all the gains quite yet, but, you know, it's coming along. Uh, he has continued to be bullying everyone he can within the office, through the halls, just kicking people downstairs left and right. So it's good to have you. I'm glad we're on camera. Uh, anything you do now, you know, we're, we're in front of people. But uh, excited to have you back, man. And as you mentioned, uh, when we talked about this in detail, last week just how uh, how incredible this season mm-hmm. this season's pans is going to be right we mentioned a lot last week about the return of Nicholas Mirigali mm-hmm. we've also been talking about you know other big name athletes getting involved uh Talson Soares uh, Diego Paso Diego Hayes the list goes on and on but I think we need to start the show mentioning as we have several times this year already mentioning Tynan Dalpra yeah and not particularly his skill, I mean, I think it comes in that this and his skill are in tandem. His 55 and 0 IBJJF record, his incredibly high submission rate. But I want to talk today about just how small the middleweight division is at Pans. And before we get into that, that's not to say that Pans, as, in general, as a whole, has gotten smaller. In fact, this is according to something I read by the IBJJF this morning, this is the biggest pans in history. Mm-hmm. The most signed up for the most registered pans in history. Some of the divisions, including divisions that are generally small, like rooster weight, have 20-plus athletes in them. But middleweight, 14. Yeah, that's amazing to see. We're always excited to have more and more athletes filling out all of the divisions across pans. But like you said, you know, we have been honing in on one of the biggest names in the IBJJF, one of the, you know, scariest names in the IBJJF, Tynan Dalper. Not only will he go out there and win him some, you know, world championships, but he's going to get some highlight reels on the way. He's going to teach, you know, a bunch of 12-year-olds how to do the, the finishing move he hits in world championships. <laughs> uh, you know, and now he's back at it, and it does seem that that, uh, you know, not to say people are running from him, but somehow there's been a coincidence that yeah. the division seems to uh, be a lot, lot lot, less stacked than normal. So just before we get into it, what you're watching now is Tynan Dalpera. Uh, the, the boys Trey and Chase went out to AOJ just a couple days ago to shoot with the Artem Jiu-Jitsu in their final preparation for Pans. Um, we got to catch up with Tynan and the rest of the crew there. They're sending out a huge squad, uh, but... Yeah, surprising to me to see how small the middleweight division is, right? And as you said, you can't say for certain that Mm -hmm. that athletes are running away from the middleweight division, but you've got to think, right? Two-time world champion, two-time pan champion, two-time European champion, undefeated with a 72% submission rate. Tynan Dalpera would be the person that you run from if you're hoping (laughs) to make it to the top of the podium. He... You know, you, you might not want to use the word unstoppable or unbeatable or whatever, but Tynan Dalpera is a scary animal here, and uh, he's ha- he's going to end up with less and less opponents, I think, as his reign continues, which leaves him with just 13 men in his division. But let's let's put that in context for a second, right? Because in 2019, we, we went back and read through the numbers. 2019, there were 28 athletes registered for the middleweight division at Pans. That's before Tynan was even a brown belt. He was a purple belt at the time. In 2025, 
excuse me, in 2020, his last, uh, his last competition as a brown belt, the day he got his black belt, there were 25 athletes registered in the middleweight division at Pans. Then in Tynan's first appearance at Pans as a black belt, again, 25 athletes registered in 2021. Last year when Tynan made his run for the second Pans title, there were 24 athletes. This year, it's been reduced almost by half, right? 14 athletes registered for Pans in the middleweight division, which has been dominated by this man, not the, the child there, but the, <laughs> the man spotting him, Tynan Dopra. Uh, man, I would love it, though. I love the, the idea that we cut to that. That's exciting. Uh, you know, and, and like you had said, that is a stark contrast from the year before. That's almost half of the, you know, the amount of athletes uh, from 2022 Pans that are here and uh, trying to take on the 2023 division. There are some athletes that we had talked about that maybe hadn't moved out of middleweight that have since made the migration up to medium heavyweight or otherwise, um, you know, but this puts Tynan in a place where his, uh, you know, three-peat pans gold at black belt is actually, you know, it seems like he has a very clear shot to the finish. Not only does he have a clear shot because, uh, you know, technically uh, and competition-wise, Tynan Dalpra is who he is, right? But even then, like, the bracket being so much smaller means he only has three matches till he is, you know, on the podium with a gold medal around his neck. Yeah, so he's going to have a much kind of shorter trajectory to the finals there. He will not have a match on Saturday, right? He starts right in at the quarterfinals on Sunday. And because of that, actually, a lot of those other athletes who want to stay at middleweight Mm -hmm. get get a benefit, right? Because everybody's moved out, they have a shorter trek to the podium. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this isn't uh, a case of these athletes not knowing who Tynan is or having matched up with him plenty because that that has been the case. You know, some of the people that have maybe moved to different weight classes may have faced Tynan two, three, four times. Uh, And, you know, so, you know, it's not like anyone in the IBJJF hasn't had their shot at him and just couldn't make it happen. But this year, when we're talking about Tynan's performance at, uh, you know, IBJJF pans, the question to me is with such a small smaller uh, talent pool with maybe a shorter move uh, or a shorter path to uh, you know, a gold medal. Who in the bracket? You know, if you got to put your money on someone giving a tie and a run for his money, someone usurping the throne. Who can it be at the you know at this Pans tournament? There are two names you called out here, and I'm I'm interested in both of them. Um, Rolando Sampson, mm-hmm. uh, Atos black belt, long time black belt, and he's been kind of off the scene um, for a little bit. He's stepped away, but he returned to competition last November and has been doing really well since. Um, and before I get into why Rolando is so uh, impressive as a potential test, I want to talk about the other one here, Tarek Hopstock. Mm-hmm. Right? Tarek had a match with Tynan back at Euros. He lost that match via submission. That was Euros 2022. But both of these athletes have something that can offer a little bit of a, of a test to Tynan in that they're going to go out there swinging. Right, mm-hmm. and that's something that, you know, it it makes sense why athletes play cautious against Tynan. Tynan is one of the best out there right now, but the only way to handle an athlete like that is to just throw everything out there and see if something lands. That's why I will always watch Tommy Lengaker versus Tynan Dalper. Right, the two times they met up at black belt, Tommy just swung for the fences and mm-hmm. he fell by submission both times, but he did so impressively. He, at, I think, on both occasions, nearly took Tynan's back. 
Yeah, and that's super exciting to me because, you know, people are always going to remember Tynan's uh, runs, you know, whenever he's making it through, especially if he does end up with gold. But like you said, you know, we're still talking about when Tommy Langecker makes his shot at him, right? So even if you're not getting the gold, but you are going out there and laying it on the line, that's the kind of jiu-jitsu that at least jiu-jitsu nerds like Corey and I are going to remember yeah. for a year or two to come. So super fun. And, you know, if he does run into Tariq, it could be in the finals, which, you know, maybe that's a great storyline for uh, Tarek's, um, you know, comeback victory over him, if, you know, if he can pull that off. Uh, you know, hats off to, to, to everyone that has stuck around in, in the uh, middleweight division, despite the reign of terror that AOJ uh, continues to, to hold on to. So there is a kind of collateral consequence to mm-hmm. Tynan coming in this middleweight division and watching everybody kind of flee out of it. Mm-hmm. Is that generally people don't flee down because you're already cutting weight to make middle. Yeah. Tends to be that they move up. Yep. And what that means is the medium heavyweight division is absolutely loaded. And loads of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I want to get into some of our favorite potential matchups in that division. Let's do it. Um, and kind of before we get there, important to shout out that while the numbers in the middleweight division have been declining, mm-hmm. the, uh, the number of the medium heavyweight division, this is the most populated medium heavyweight division in the past five years, right? Generally mm-hmm. hovers around 15, 16, maybe 20. This year there are 31 competitors registered at medium heavy. And some of the first round matches are just off the wall exciting. Yeah, there, there's a lot of names here. Not only are there a lot of names here because it's just voluminous, you know, there's 31 of them, but there's plenty of people that you guys are going to recognize, whether it's, you know, people we've had from the Who's Number One circuit on, Elder Cruz, I know he's obviously done his thing, but, you know, you also got Sebastian Williams. You just got a lot of really awesome first-round yeah, names. So, so call that one out, right, because yeah. that, that is a huge first-round match. Sebastian Williams versus Elder Cruz, uh, both of these guys have – not the exact same style, but the exact same energy and pace, um, which is going to be really interesting to watch take off in the, in the medium heavyweight division. Uh, Elder, of course, phenomenal wrestler, um, as is Sebastian Williams. Sebastian Williams has a great kind of takedown passing game. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it's really interesting here. We're going to see Elder Cruz coming on uh, into the black belt scene. Obviously, he's done black belt competition before, but last year at IBJJF Worlds, he was the brown belt world champion. Now he's uh, coming into the black belt division here at medium heavyweight in the second to last seed. Uh, so it's going to be really fun. You know, he is getting no shortcuts, uh, you know, even though he had such a, a great brown belt performance uh, and he, having him in such a fun First round matchup uh, should be interesting. You know, sometimes Elder Cruz is is one of the athletes that though you know I'm I'm a huge fan of him. There can be you know um, you know it can be hit or miss with some of his matches, especially because he has such a uh, you know um, hard top heavy pressure style that if an athlete can uh, you know take out that dimension of his game, sometimes you know that puts him on the back foot where it's really difficult to you know struggle back against uh, you know the highest level competitors. It's not just Elder Cruz that's coming in from the brown belt, uh, you know, brown belt worlds, uh, or, you know, the brown belt scene, uh, Wanderson Ferreira, he is our 2020 
2023 brown belt double gold champion from Euros. And he is now also coming in at uh, quite a low seed. I believe he is just one seed above Elder Cruz. And he also, you know, has um, a really tough road ahead of him in this brown belt pans bracket. He's coming in midway through the season, you know what I mean, uh, and switching from that brown belt to the black belt competition scene. Very difficult to and do. And so you Anderson's first match against uh, Mateus Spirandelli mm-hmm. of Alliance. Really cool matchup to me because Spirandelli, very kind of decorated seasoned veteran black belt, knows how to hang in the pocket, knows how to kind of draw those matches out and uh, put the pressure of the clock on an opponent. And you Anderson he has that just that pace right he's not going to let the clock get to him he's going to try and really put an energy on his opponents his his outside passing is second to none Mm -hmm. as far as rookie black belts go um he just he moves so much and somebody as patient as spira is gonna try and drag you anderson into top into into tough deep waters but um It'd be really interesting to see how you Anderson steps in to this division because it's not just this matchup, right? That you know, if he moves on, I think he has. If he moves on, it's going to be another one of these tough matches. Let's just kind of call some some of the other ones out: Francisco Lowe versus Mauricio Oliveira. Another mm-hmm. um, uh, fast pace versus slow grinding pace style. I'm really interested in this one too. Murillo Santana versus Bruno Machias. Yeah, absolutely. Murillo Santana. Um, whoever wins that one will get a potential round two matchup with Jansen Gomez, assuming Jansen, you know, has his way in his first round, which is really fun. I think anytime we can see a legend like Murillo, you know, someone that has made their uh, mark on the jiu-jitsu uh, competition scene in such a wild and prof- prolific way, then we get to see, you know, potential matches up, matchups with guys like Jansen Gomez, who are the next generation of black belt athletes that are going to be terrorizing all these old heads for basically the rest of their careers uh you know so this is definitely going to be a clash of generations i you know i think uh, additionally aside from merlo santana and bruno matias being a really fun first round matchup i am excited about that stylistic matchup if merlo can get the win and then match up with jansen can he slow down jansen can he you know uh that, that's a really fun storyline for me and a potential you know next up even looking past round one we're looking now to at two of the heavyweight matchups we just saw uh roberto jimenez versus adam wardzinski and i can't wait for that matchup adam wardzinski of course, a decorated veteran mm-hmm. black belt. Uh, Roberto Jimenez, we talked about him last week, kind of a weight bender, right? He's been down at lightweight. He's been up at heavyweight. He's going to be up at heavyweight again at Pans. And his style versus Adam Wardzinski, you know what Adam wants to do. You know what uh, what Roberto wants to do. Adam wants to get underneath in that butterfly guard. Roberto mm-hmm. wants to take the back from just about anywhere. Yep. So it's really just these two guys going head to head. Neither yep. one of them backs down. They're both willing to open themselves up and then we just saw here as well Devonte johnson versus kyle venetius now kyle venetius may be flying under the radar for for some but he is the brown belt absolute world champion from 2022 a student of felipe penna really dangerous brown belt now black belt out of gracie baja against Devonte johnson again one of these guys who's somehow become a veteran right it seems like not too long ago that he was a rookie black belt but now uh, of course, at the very top of that super heavyweight division, super heavyweight, uh, excuse me, heavyweight, which now he's down at, is loaded. I think the big threat there is uh, Felipe Andrew, but that division stacked top to bottom. Really excited for everything that can come in 
both the heavyweight and medium heavyweight divisions, I think they've turned out a lot of great potential action. Uh, any other matches jump out to you as far as just first round stuff you want to get into? Um, yeah, I think I saw one over here in the women's middleweight division, Elizabeth Clay versus Raquel Canuto. I know, uh, you know, Elizabeth Clay is matched up with essentially most of the women's jiu-jitsu community at some point. She is one of our most ath- uh, or our, our most, uh, you know, active competitors. But this is a really fun one. This is, you know, uh, a rematch from Raquel versus Elizabeth Clay back in, I believe it was 2022. American Nationals, where they met up in the finals at 69 kg, same weight class they're at now, and uh, Clay won a was a four point victory over Raquel Canuto, which I know you know Raquel obviously always a super game competitor, always down. She's always super fired up when she's uh, you know when she's going out there. So I can't imagine she's uh, super excited that you know there's a there's a loss under her record uh, coming from Clay. I, you know you love to see athletes be able to get that back. Yeah, it's a it's a great stylistic. Match. Matchup, right? Just because Elizabeth Clay, um, a, a very submission-oriented athlete, right? she mm-hmm. does not tend to play that points game. Neither does Raquel Canuto. Raquel wants to finish her opponent by submission, and she will kind of leave herself open some sometimes in order to do so. So that kind of matchup nearly always produces a submission one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And the fun part is you don't really know exactly who's going to win anytime. Um, that's some of the first round matchups. We got a full list of our favorites uh, up on the Grappling Bulletin article, which came out this morning. And of course, go scroll through the brackets. There's some surprises waiting in, especially at featherweight, lightweight, medium heavyweight, heavyweight. So uh, from top to bottom in the black belt divisions, I think those first rounds on Saturday are mm-hmm. really going to surprise a lot of people. But I want to talk a little bit about maybe some of the potential finals that we can see. We mentioned at the beginning how exciting it would be to see uh, Tynan versus Tarek in the final again because of what Tarek brings, because of the the uh, ever-present threat that Tynan offers. Mm-hmm. Any other finals, potential finals that uh, interest you? Oh, man, you're going to have to lead the discussion on this one. Let me find my absolute favorite before I start talking out of the side of my head. Uh, but I would love to hear what you're thinking on that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm really tuned in to the light featherweight division. There are a couple names that jump out to me. Don't really know who ends up where there, but let's just kind of highlight the the four maybe front runner light featherweights. Uh-huh. Uh, Diego Basso, mm. Diogo Hayes. I think that's a potential final. Diogo has to get through Malachi Edmond in the semifinal. That is not easy. And Pato, I believe, needs to get through Mario Alvarado. And who else is who else is there? I can pull it up. There's one other athlete <laughs> in that uh, in that light featherweight division I'm sleeping on right now. Um, but yeah, I, I've been following the light featherweight division at hands really closely for a while because of all of the big names. Oh, it's uh, how did I lost it? Oh, man, we'll get it by the end. He's of He's gonna kill me. It's Mayhem. <laughs> Mayhem, May- yeah, yeah. Mayhem. We've been talking about him for a while. I don't think he can uh, hold it too much against you. I'm excited for a lot of these. If, if you guys have not checked out, I'm just going to drop this uh, somewhere. If, if you guys have not checked out the Grappling Bulletin article, it does have a pretty comprehensive list, uh, like Corey was saying, not just of round one matchups, but also those potential Sunday matchups that we're kind of looking through here. And even down here at the quarterfinals, you know, this isn't exactly what you had asked, but this Eric Muniz, Stephen Bonta uh, question mark match, you know, <laughs> Stephen Bonta's 
obviously one of the most uh, decorated athletes uh, across the brown belt scene, and this is kind of something we had talked about earlier. Uh, you know, Elder Cruz coming off of a 2022 uh, brown belt competition run. Uh, you know, same with some of our other athletes. Uh, you know, so it's really fun, whether it's Elder Cruz, whether it's Wanderson Ferreira, whether it's Steven Vonta to see, you know, what's it really like? Like, how much does a brown belt world championship mean when you're talking about black belt competition scene uh you know are, are they going to seed that fairly and, and can some of these athletes you know take advantage of of maybe going under the radar having maybe not the highest seed despite having really uh, strong competition in the brown belt uh you know and, and take advantage and snipe somebody two uh, other quarterfinals well one quarterfinal one final that catch my eye as well uh quarterfinal Nicholas Mergali versus Roosevelt Souza. Any match when Mergali's on the mat, you better be rushing over to watch it. And especially because Roosevelt Souza is another one of those athletes, right? Does not like to play that points, I'm going to score and hold you down game. Roosevelt Souza is trying to win by submission. He's trying to he's trying to take your ankle or your head off, mm-hmm. really. But to say it nicely, yes, he's looking by submission. And Mergali tends to feed off that game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's exactly what Mergali's mission is in every single match. So you're not going to see... A cagey gamer, at least I would expect not to see a cagey matchup. I think this one ends quick, one way or the other, because Roosevelt has that devastating footlock, because Mergali has that insane choke game that has only been developed by his training with Donner. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go back to the all access that dropped on, I think it was. Uh, Friday of this week with Nicholas Mergali and, and John Donahue. We get to see a little bit of Nicholas doing something that in his gi career he has never done. Yeah. Play takedowns. Mergali is a long time, I'm going to pull guard, I'm going to try, try the omoplata, the loop choke, mm-hmm. and then sweep you, get on top, and and end your day. Yep. But Mergali playing takedowns adds just another level of threats. Now, whether he brings that out at pans or whether he decides to go back to the old tricks, you've got to watch for yourself. But... Uh, either way this plays out, it's going to be exciting to watch. And then one more. Now, a lot of things have to go right for this matchup to hit. But in the final, in the women's lightweight division, we could see Fionn Davis versus Luisa Montero. Fionn kind of pulled a fast one on us. She registered at featherweight and then jumped up to lightweight. Mm-hmm. But uh, offers all sorts of compelling matchups, including this potential final versus the, I want to say, eight-time pan champion Luisa Montero yeah that's gonna be uh certainly a fun one obviously everyone is well aware of who Fionn Davies is and, and you know if Luisa Montero maybe uh if her name isn't on your radar just as much put it there because she is one of you know the most decorated uh and most active uh competitors on the scene especially in these last few years Luisa's seen a return to the competition mats in full form uh you know really impressing against you know the biggest names in the business she hasn't she didn't come back a you know however many a year or two ago to the competition mats and look for easy matchups uh she went right in there against you know the the biggest and best that uh, on the nogi scene who's number one could offer since she's obviously been making her name uh you know putting it back on the map again at ibjjf she's been uh handling our gp so that's super fun to see her in there and uh with a potential fee on davies match at the end uh you know of the bracket that's one to really have your eye on you know louisa's one of the best and Fion is absolutely in the spotlight right now so um yet another you can really call both of these decorated women veterans but Mm -hmm. louisa is kind of that that stalwart she's been there for a while she's defending her especially at pans Mm -hmm. she is a 
multiple, again, I want to say eight-time Pan champion. She's going to be holding down the line there against Fion, who is coming into Pans looking to prove that um, she is, I mean, she is the reigning lightweight world champ, but she's looking, both of them are defending what they've built. Mm -hmm. right? it's, a, it's a great matchup. Um, we could go on and on about the black belt divisions. Obviously, we've been doing that for the last two, three weeks. The black belts start on Saturday, March 25th. Yep. Those who qualify for the finals will continue to compete on March 26th on Sunday. But before all that, all of the color belts got to take the mat, right? Pan starts on Wednesday the 22nd. It continues the 23rd, 24th, and then the black belts go. Um, but there are so many incredible prospects mm -hmm. in the color belt divisions, in the brown belts, in the purple belts, even in the blue belt divisions that kind of go unnoticed and unappreciated. Uh, but it really is some of the best jujitsu and a great way to dive into, pay attention to the trends that are coming in jujitsu mm -hmm. is to watch what the purple belts are doing. And not all the purple belts, but especially the purple belts who have been competing since they were 12 years old, right? Yeah. <laughs> the ones that, you know, won their won their first title, blue belt title when they were, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. Those are the ones we're keying in on. We have a list of top color belts to watch, uh, and, and they will, again, all be competing on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. So let's kick things off with the, the lighter side of the, the male brown belts and come on you know where we're going yeah one name has to be on your on your mind cole abate uh, but obviously you know cole abate is not the only athlete here that we're excited to see it's fun to see him go on the mat at any point in time he is signed up for the brown belt lightweight division but you know he doesn't have uh, just an easy road to the finish uh, cole abate has um you know found himself uh you know at the uh, on the opposite side of plenty of colored belts that while Cole may have made his name by taking out black belts, you know, uh, he still has plenty of competition even here on the IBJJF scene where, you know, maybe uh, people expect him to just walk through a bracket, right? Yeah, and this is, you know, it, it is his first major at brown belt. Now, he, he did the LA Open just a couple weeks ago. He won that. Not surprising, maybe. Um he he ended his purple belt career on the top of the podium at Euros. Now he is stepping into uh, the the brown belt division at a major at Pans, where one of the many athletes he could face is the reigning European uh, lightweight champion Tiago Saboya. Mm -hmm. uh, Tiago looked phenomenal. He also entered into the absolute category. I think he earned himself a medal spot there, or he at least hit the quarterfinals, um, and. Every change in belt rank for Kolobate brings about new tests, right? Mm -hmm. And it gives these athletes an opportunity to validate that they are as good as they are, right? Mm -hmm. Because Kolobate tends to be this kind of measuring stick for a lot of these athletes where, you know, Cole comes to Purple Belt, it's his first time competing at Purple Belt. Everybody wants to prove, no, 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 he is not the only great Purple Belt. I am also here, and it's the same thing. He raises up to brown belt. It's all of these lightweight brown belts opportunities to say, okay, you all know who Kolobate is. You should also know who I am. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, speaking of which, uh, just to bounce down to the other athlete at brown belt you should be keying in for in the lighter weight divisions, uh, Maurice Ramirez. Maurice Ramirez potentially um, shown a huge spotlight on himself, not for winning Worlds in 2021 at Purple Belt, but for winning pans in 2022 as a purple belt, because Kolobate was in his in his division, he had to beat Kolobate in the semis to earn that title. 
Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, Maurice Ramirez took out not just Colabate, but he also got the win over Colabate's teammate, AOJ's uh, purple belt at the time, Gustavo Ogawa. Is that correct? Is that how you say it at Pants? Uh, you know, I had, I had spoken just previously when we were mentioning Cole. Again, not all of these colored belts, like, there's there's colored belts that can and are looking to take out names like Cole Abate. Now it's just a different division, right? But, you know, it's not like we saw Cole go undefeated at Purple Belt. So there's plenty of storylines here that really make, you know, uh, Cole Abate. There still has to be question marks around it. Now, obviously, Maurice Ramirez is not going to be in the same weight class as Cole this time around. He is down there at featherweight. He is a Marcio Andre Brown belt. Uh, you know, so it's going to be really uh, interesting to see uh, how he ends Ends up stacking up with that division right now. He's seated number three with a first round bye. He's looking at a potential uh, second round matchup with uh, you know athletes like Jonathan Barrow, uh, Mateus Lopez Ferreira, uh, you know. But uh, you know we're not gonna see the Colabate matchup there at Brown Belt that maybe I would be excited for. But you know plenty of other great but great matchups. There are so many other mm-hmm. great matchups for Maurice and just to kind of um, sing Maurice's praises a little bit more here right after he won pans he got promoted to brown belt and i think like two months later competed at worlds where he took third in a stacked uh featherweight division um that's not to say that this brown belt division this featherweight division is in the bag for maurice right because he has a potential opponents in eduardo granzado uh, dudu from checkmat and marco mendez from dreamart two of the top brown belts competing right now so mm-hmm. You know, th- these divisions are always so they're, they're always changing so dynamically because at this point in the story of jiu-jitsu, right? Mm-hmm. Athletes only stay at a belt for as long as they have to. Yep. They they get to a belt level, they run through everything and then they move up. So these divisions are like who gets caught in the mix, right? Because yeah. Maurice is on his way up as is Dudu, as is uh, Marco Mendez, like all of these athletes are just trying to get to the next level. Yep. So it's anybody's game. Um, it's not just here at the lighter weight divisions of brown belt. I want to move up to the men's heavyweight division, which features athletes such as Hyron Gracie, uh, so many others. But I want to start with Hyron in the super heavyweight division again. Uh, he was a finalist. He took silver uh, at brown at brown belt in the absolute division at Euros. He took third in in the super heavyweight division. One of the top seeds here. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one seed, I believe, is Nico Maglicic, Maglicic mm-hmm. of Atos, who to, uh, I think he won the absolute world title at final. Uh, at, he won the absolute world, ti- world title brown belt last year. Mm-hmm. So that's a loaded division. Uh, Nico's teammate, Tateu, from Atos, probably the man to beat in the ultra heavyweight division i would imagine also the man to be in the absolute division he will be a, a, he's a, a decorated decorated brown but i think he'll be a monster up there um and then i'm really keying in to this heavyweight division yeah tell me about it uh, rookie black belt Doriayun from checkmat just won just earned his brown belt after winning uh nogi worlds mm-hmm. lucas lira uh in his debut under the dream art banner he moved from fight sports he's most well known as a nogi competitor um but gonna be cool to see him in the gi representing the new team and then of course francisco popsadero talk about team moves uh francisco recently moved to aoj uh he is probably the heaviest 
Uh, heaviest competitor at AOJ or heaviest recognizable face at AOJ at heavyweight. Most of their athletes are medium heavyweight or much lower. Mm -hmm. uh, but interesting, going to be interesting for me to see how his style, how he embraces, how at his size he embraces the AOJ style. Yeah, absolutely. And we what we did there was talk about three different weight classes. Just adds up. That's heavyweight, super heavy, and ultra heavy. But those three weight classes are really fun to talk about because many of the athletes feel like it's kind of a, a given that they sign up for the absolute if they register there. So any of these names, though, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Francisco Papasadero or Hiron Gracie or Mateus uh, Tetu, how do you say that name? Tateu. Tateu. I'm so sorry, Mateus. Or uh, to tell you, you know, um, if the brackets work out, how you know for the fans, any one of these guys, all three of these guys, we could see in the absolute. It's it's very normal. I know Hiron is one of those athletes that since we've been watching him at blue, since we've been watching him at purple, he has come up and consistently, uh, you know, put his name out there for those absolutes. Uh, you know, I, and I think it's going to be fun to see that brown belt is no different here. Hopefully, hopefully. Speaking of. It's the brown belt absolute divisions. Actually, before we get any further into that, I want to talk about the women's brown belt divisions. Let's do it. Um, and let's just talk about kind of all of them at one. The lightweight for me, and potentially one of the uh, bet one of the best potentials to hit the podium in the absolute division is Emily Pakulski here from Unity. Mm -hmm. uh, Emily, longtime absolute contender. Great to see. Coming from a lightweight, and she's just a submission machine. I think having the knee bars unlocked at brown belt has only uh, increased her ability to perform, but she's a great back taker. She's got a phenomenal guard, uh, really does it all. Um, kind of a dark horse, perennial dark horse maybe, out of unity uh, in the brown belt lightweight divisions. Uh, but I want to shine a light as well on just two more that jump out at me. Shelby Murphy from AOJ. Mm -hmm. um, she hasn't been a brown belt for very long, but she is a very decorated competitor. Uh, and Abby Pontes uh, coming back to Pans, looking for that that gold has just missed her a couple times at mm -hmm. light featherweight. Yeah, super fun. I know you had mentioned, uh, you know, all these athletes are really fun to watch. Shelby Murphy, I believe she's just 19 now coming on and uh, taking on, you know, the, the brown belt women's division. That's uh, fun to see, especially these new names coming out. But we have talked about some of these other names, like you said, like the Abu Pontes, like the Emily Pakulski. Uh, you know, I'm really excited, especially for the athletes like Emily. She is one of those almost silent killers. She doesn't even have, she doesn't have an Instagram or social media, which is always so fun to see because she She's such a dynamic, exciting athlete. When I was going to these IBJJFs, I was the guy that was having to put everyone on Instagram or get their highlights, and everyone was coming to me, hey, did you get that match? Did you get that submission? And all, all the time I had to be like, no, I didn't get it, whatever. Usually they just didn't do something exciting enough, right, and they wanted that tag. But Emily, every time she went on the mat, came away with a highlight reel, and she never had an Instagram or anything Connor's that I could her shout down. her out, man. I was always <laughs> trying to, and she always had to remind me, ah, no, I don't do that so social media stuff, whatever, which is just like a badass way of doing it. You come off, collar choke someone in a highlight, and then next thing you know, come up and be like, oh, no praises, don't worry about <laughs> it, you know. So super fun, uh, really excited to see the, no, the, those divisions go down. I, absolutely. Emily is one that I expect to enter the absolute. Every our, time. Yeah, for sure. She's not even that big. She's like yeah. she's she's like a small girl and the matchup she gets in the absolute look rough, but she makes them. She makes she wins them. And somehow. she climbs right. She gets she gets her way toward or near the podium. Yeah, um, almost every time. But there are three 
that I imagine will absolutely 100% take a shot at the absolute title mm -hmm. based on a, just how well they've done in the past in those divisions and B, um, let, let's just get to it. Giovanna Jara. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the she's now registered at heavyweight. She has not been a brown belt for very long, but she's already won just about everything there is to win. She's running out of titles to win. I don't think she can yet qualify to be a black belt, but she just steamrolls everybody. Uh, she, yeah, I think she got her brown belt in what was it, March of last year? Yeah, so something very recent. I would not be surprised if she gets gets promoted on the podium here if she qualifies. I don't know. Maybe she'll wait for the world title. Um, her longtime nemesis, Nia Blackman, also a heavyweight out of uh, the UK, uh, has done very well at Purple Belt. I think Giovanna has stood in her way of success at Brown Belt, but Nia is constantly growing, constantly getting closer to being able to take out Giovanna. That is always a match I expect to see mm -hmm. at the heavyweight division. They seem to be chasing each other into and out of divisions, mm -hmm. uh, but they always meet up at the absolute division. And then... The maybe less known contender who you should definitely keep your eye on is Eloisa Oliveira. She's the middleweight brown belt. Um, man, her judo, her throws, her submission hunger, mm -hmm. her just desire to win by submission. She is. I have so so much footage of her throwing people to the mat and jumping on an armbar. I love that. And it's yeah, it's the kind of thing we want to see. She is. Um, I hate to keep throwing this out. She's the dark horse, I think, in the absolute division this year. Um, Giovanna and Nia are two tough tests, but I think Eloisa is a close third in the running for the absolute title. Yeah, absolutely. And any of these names, we shouldn't just be watching for the sake of watching the brown belts, right? Because that's that's interesting. However, we've been talking about plenty of you know upper weight black belt women that don't always have the level of competition around them that we're hoping for. We want to stack those names. So this is the next generation of the people that, you know, can go on to challenge a Gabby Passania, that can go on to, uh, you know, challenge a Yara, whoever it ends up being. So super fun to see. And let's take just a little bit, a little further look into the future, right? Mm -hmm. Let's let's take a look at the women's uh, purple belts mm -hmm. coming to Pans later on this week. Um, and I want to start here. The division that gets me most excited is the lightweight division, which features Kiana Clay, Iris Feliz, Karina Lagana, Emily Martins, and Giovanna Amaral. Now, uh, all of those names, if you don't follow the purple belts and the former blue belts as closely, not going to blame you, but you should be keeping your eye on, for example, Kiana Clay, who's a blue belt world champion mm -hmm. uh, and a submission machine out of Gracie Baja. Um, she, in the, I mean... Who knows how this division stacks out? It is one of the most loaded female divisions of any division coming to pants. But I could see her up against uh, Karina, Le Karina Legrana, who is a pan champion already out of TLI, mm -hmm. Crazy 88. She won pans last year. I believe she took third at Worlds. Uh, Iris Feliz, sister of Igor Feliz, also a really deadly purple belt. She had a great blue belt run as did Emily Martins, as did Giovanna Amaral. So this division is just... Stacked. Yeah, it, it's bonkers. Um, also want to call out the light featherweight division. Yeah. Specifically because of Tainara Soros. Tell now, me about it. We talk about these lightweight athletes jumping up to the absolute, but it's rare that you see a light featherweight athlete mm -hmm. taking the podium in the absolute division i think 
at blue belt, she won an absolute division. Damn. She at least took second, but typically Tainara will win her division by all submissions, mm -hmm. then get to the absolute and has a light featherweight, which by the way is 118 pounds mm -hmm. or around there. She will climb the whole mountain, get to the final, make it to the, the semifinal at the very least, um, and winning everything by, by footlocks, by submissions. Yeah. Do you, do you think, uh, you know, as a small athlete, climbing the absolute podium is easier in the gi realm versus the no-gi realm? I or don't is think there... it's easy anywhere. <laughs> yeah, sure, 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 yeah. sure. Uh, she does have a, a great spider guard, um, and she trains a lot with A-Rod. A-Rod, of course... One of those athletes who, as a featherweight, as a long-time light featherweight, likes to jump into the absolute division. So maybe not a surprise mm -hmm. that Tainara engages in the absolute division, but always surprising to see her do so well, despite we have prior evidence of her doing well in the absolute division. Just crazy to see somebody that small conquering a division with opponents that large love to see it any other uh purple belts you want to call out man we got some here i know uh, good friends with sophia sophia is a rooster weight she's uh she came out i believe i watched her primarily on the blue belt circuit where she's a very small competitor but she goes out there like a tasmanian devil and try and rips everyone's head off so shout out sophia uh, excited to see you out there on top of that the orende clan has you know they have Austin Orenday, Damian Orenday, they were very well-known competitors across the IBJJF circuit, sometimes even refing for them. Uh, you know, but Cameron Orenday, the, the youngest of them, she is a uh, featherweight coming into uh, the you know pans this year. Uh, excited to see you know, her take on the, the family flag and, and throw it into battle. Um, Long-time juvenile competitor, finally stepping up to the adult realm, and I, I would imagine taking heads already. Um, one more I want to shout out here, if you don't mind, uh, Tamara Toros. Tamara Toros, uh, this year is her first year at Purple Belt, but last year at Blue Belt, she competed the she completed the very rarely completed Grand Slam. Right? Mm -hmm. We've mentioned this before. She won Euros, she won Pans, she won Brasileiro, she won Worlds, and she got promoted soon after. I mean, how can you not at that point? But those athletes that are able to accomplish. All of those victories in one tend to be some of the best and most reputable at the next belt level, whatever that is, right? So blue belt Grand Slam winner should be considered one of the most dangerous, one of the favorites to win whatever pro belt division they enter. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I know we have a little bit more here, but I think one thing I'm super excited about is talking about next up, the men's purple uh, belts. Um, I know that we had talked a little bit about this online, but is there any specific athletes here that uh, have you necessarily excited? Let's start up with the heavier weight categories, I think middle and up. Um, Enzo Silva. Okay. Doesn't get as much praise as I think he should, but he won pans at blue belt. He won euros at blue belt. I think he did quite well at Worlds. At, might have won Worlds at Blue Belt. Um, Enzo Silva is another just open-ended, throw everything out, no, almost zero regard for the risk he's taking, just throwing submissions at the wall. Mm -hmm. Athlete, gotta love to see it. Enzo Silva, out of Enzo Gracie, just uh, now. That's something you can get away with at Blue Belt, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting to see if he can still get away with that open-ended game at Purple Belt in the middleweight division, mm -hmm. where some of the potential opponents he faces are, I have I've picked out here, Corey Dorsey, the younger brother of Elijah Dorsey out of Team Lloyd Irvin. Uh, Corey Dorsey 
He looks quite heavy for a middleweight. I'm excited to see him make the bump down. I mm-hmm. think if he and Enzo hit in the final or anywhere along the lines at Pans, it really is kind of that, that clash of styles. Again, we talk about where open-ended Enzo Silva, who just throws caution to the wind, versus Corey Dorsey, a little bit more calculated, a little bit more of a strategist, going to try and pick Enzo apart piece by piece. Love that. Um, not only do we have some of these upper weights going on, but we still have some returners from uh, you know the lower weight classes on the men's purple belt um, side of things. One that I'm going to call out that I'm particularly inside, excited about is Gustavo Ogawa. He is uh, a- AOJ uh, purple belt. Um, uh, last year we saw him close out uh, at Worlds with Kolobate. Um, Sorry, sorry. We had we had the wrong picture go up there. Uh, we saw him close out with Colabate at Worlds, uh, you know, and and being in a similar weight class from the same team and the same belt level, it's probably very difficult to be uh, any athlete, especially as Colabate. You know what I mean? So, uh, but he has found uh, immense success across the IBJJF circuit, um, you know. And if you're you're getting to those, uh, you know, Worlds finals for a closeout with Cole, you know, it's got to be nice having Cole. Uh, you know, though he's a teammate, though you gotta love him. He's over at the brown belt now. Now there is no more question of, am I going to, you know, have my finals match? Am I going to have, uh, you know, a, a definitive stamp on whatever this run turns out for better or worse? Really excited for that. He's been on the IBJJF Open Circuit. He's collected gold at Rio, at Waco, at the Nashville Open. So, uh, you know, excited to see him maybe step away from the shadow of a, a very predominant teammate of his that's, own. That's a good point. Because Gustavo Ogawa should not be living in anybody's shadow, right? Gustavo Ogawa is a phenomenal purple belt, mm-hmm. a phenomenal competitor. Uh, he closed out with Cole at Worlds last year, but they had a very similar path to getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they both submitted nearly everybody on the way up to the final, where they decided, all right, let's just let's split this thing. But yep. even at Pans, right, where uh, where Cole lost to Maurice, they had a very similar path. Uh, Gustavo actually, just as the bracket played out, actually finished second there, where Cole finished third. Maurice, of course, took dual medal. Uh, but Gustavo Ogawa should not be overshadowed. He is every bit as formidable in the gi as Cole Abate is. And I think seeing him stick around at featherweight while Cole moves up to lightweight, I think those two will be hand-in-hand hand, uh, kind of climbing the podiums for the next couple of years. Absolutely. Also want to shout out the lightweight division where we've got, as we just teased up a second ago, Lysander Lopez uh, jumping in to the Purple Belt ranks. He made his Purple Belt debut at Euros. He had a phenomenal Blue Belt year. Uh, Euros was a little bit of a test for him, but looking to see if he will be able to bounce back at lightweight division. He's not the only exciting lightweight coming to pans in the Purple Belt divisions. Why don't you shout him out? Our boy Jacob Brooks. Spatch, spatch, spatch. That's our boy Spatch from Daisy Fresh from the Pedago Submission Fighting Crew is coming to Pans to compete and throw his name in the hat. He is, you know, uh, one of the most active competitors, uh, you know, from the Pedago team. I know he hasn't always had it go his way, um, but, you know, this is another time we get to see him go out there and, and put the Pedago system, um, you know, into practice. Also, you know, I think if you're around the IBJJF scene, you just got to love, you know, listening for him in the crowd because he does, he has become 
become the official uh, mouthpiece for whoever happens to be coaching at the time. It, you know, he's a he's a great coach, great competitor, great teammate, and you know we're we're always rooting for him whenever uh, we see his name drop in that. Absolutely. One more uh, lightweight purple ball I'm tuning into is Luca Ramachi, who we talked a lot about all of these athletes jumping on to the AOJ train. Mm -hmm. Luca is one of those athletes who has moved out to Costa Mesa joining the AOJ team and he has a game that seems to fit that mold already. Mm -hmm. So I again will be interesting interested in seeing how the assistance, the guidance of Guy Mendez and the whole crew there at AOJ of just top level athletes elevates the game of Luca Ramachi. Absolutely. Just a couple of the many, many tough top level purple and brown balls. We didn't of course get into the blue belts, but there are too many to mention there. Yeah, we barely just scraped the surface here, guys. But go through, uh, look through the brackets, look through the divisions. There will be some names to jump out at you. Um, if you don't recognize anybody, now is your chance to watch pans, watch the color belts, get ahead of the game, and start to figure out, start to keep an eye on who's going to be that black belt talent two, three years from now. Because it creeps up before you know it. Just the last point on this. I'm so shocked every time I see Hey Ron Gracie as a veteran brown belt now. Because I remember not too long ago, I mean, I, I was pretty well into my brown belt when he was a, uh, yeah, competitive blue belt. When he was, you know, winning pans and everything else at blue belt. And then yep. all of a sudden you kind of look over your shoulder. And, and he's standing there's, beside there's, you. There's <laughs> Gracie, yeah. So um, they, they mature fast. They become black belts fast. Uh -huh. It's good to get an eye, get a perspective on those top-level athletes at Purple Belt, at Brown Belt, when they're developing their game so you know what you're looking for when you watch the the Black Belt bracket unfold and you say, how come I don't know anybody here? It's because you haven't been paying attention to the mm -hmm. Purple Belts, the Brown Belts, the athletes that are going to be the next generation. Now is the time to keep an eye on them to watch where they're coming from yeah and if that is you this year if you are looking at those brackets going who the heck are these guys i don't know any of these they weren't in black belt last year well our very own Corey stockton can help you follow along <laughs> with ivjjf pants there's going to be plenty of ways to watch not just with the stream not just with what you know the things that are going out on youtube which there will be plenty of plenty of content coming out but we will have things like live updates articles you know some some maybe round early round uh breakdowns uh, of the matches that you got to have on your plate you got to have uh you know on your screen so stay tuned follow along whether it's instagram social media just on the flow app ibjjf season is here that's what's coming this week pans again once more starts on wednesday the 22nd with the blue belts and white belts on thursday the male brown belts the female brown belts the female purple belts take the mat on friday the male purple belts take the mat saturday and sunday is black belts and juveniles um Let's get on, before we get ahead of ourselves, to the news from the week, the recaps. One event I want to shout out, the biggest event, I think, that happened. two events. Two mm -hmm. big events that happened this weekend. Uh, starting off with Subversion Equinox down in Australia. The main event, Ash Williams versus Jeremy Skinner. Ash Williams beat Jeremy Skinner via triangle. Let's take a look at this match as we, as we talk through Ash Williams and his... Oh, man, we Gotta need to get that. Ash Williams on, on who's number one. He is one of the best athletes coming out of Europe. Has just great wrestling. Watch this throw. Oh, nice. He hits the arm drag single. Jeremy Skinner wrestles up. And then, he, I guess, the drop toss. Again, more just wrestling up from the bottom. Yeah, doesn't wrestle up for long, it looks like. Ooh. 
And Ash Williams, I may be wrong on this, but I think he used to be really known as a leg locker. So watching that development, right, going from leg locker to wrestling expert mm-hmm. against Jeremy Skinner, who was a really well-known leg locker from Australia, Ash Williams just having a phenomenal year. And, um, man. Uh-oh. Are we going to? Oh, yep. no. We're going to fall off the back here. I was thinking Sula left stretch. The Cisnero stretch. I wouldn't be surprised if he was looking at it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. And then he finishes this up with a triangle finish right there. You can see Jeremy Skinner kind of turns into it. Oh, he doesn't catch it there. Um, fun there to it see. is. But you can tell he saw something there, right? Yeah. And both of these guys, by the way, ADCC veterans. Uh, they yeah. both had wins in their first ADCC matches, which four trials winners. Yeah. Not, huge. Yeah, that, that's huge, right? Uh, Ash Williams, I believe, defeated, submitted Gary Toner. And uh, Jeremy oh, Skinner man. beat AJ Agazar. What a good transition. Seems very similar to the one that he had just caught. You know, waiting for Jeremy Skinner to come up and look like he's trying to wrestle forward, put pressure forward, and, and just getting what? caught for it. It seems to me like it's because Ash forced Jeremy into a wrestling match, right? Yeah. Ash was out wrestling Jeremy, and then Jeremy finally gets in on the single, and says, I got something here. And Ash says, I have something waiting for you, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm convinced at this point, like, there's there is going to be you know a lower return on on investment with wrestling past a certain point and it does seem to be that moment within in within the takedown where you can jumping or like jump for a triangle essentially like every it seems to be there everywhere with a lot of these guys so it's really fun especially seeing you know uh athletes that we primarily consider leg lockers making that evolution seeing that leap and knowing you know, this is what needs to happen. All of that, by the way, coming from a guy who has been practicing his flying triangles. Only, I refuse to, I actually did it like a day or two ago, and I, I've just been doing them probably incessantly, like a bad training partner, <laughs> and for the first time the other day, I smoked my head on the back of the mat, or the back of my head on the mat, and I was like, oh, that's why people don't do them all the time. <laughs> okay, so maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we won't do that as much. A member of the uh, the Edwin Najmi clan, huh? Yeah, yeah, something like that. I'm about to be knocked out out here so a crazy submission by uh, ash williams great setup um he will be facing he's scheduled to face ryan hall later on this year at polaris uh more information on that to come that's an exciting matchup for me too again the generational gap love to see it just the new new school jiu-jitsu versus mm-hmm. kind of more old school jiu-jitsu it's tough to call ryan hall old school really but you get my point but not the only submission that came out of Subversion Equinox on Saturday night. Um, there's a, there were a bunch, but here's one I want to highlight. Uh, ADCC veteran Josh, uh, Josh Saunders. Let's roll this clip. I, I tried to ask about this clip earlier, and I believe Corey's no, response was, no, 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 no. Well, we're going to watch this live. So I'm excited to see this. Corey, is this the one you labeled Pez Dispenser? Yeah. Uh, all right. So Josh Josh Saunders won the ADCC trials in Australia to qualify for ADCC. He is a big boy. I yeah. think he lost to Felipe Pena in the first round. I could be wrong on that. Is there a, is there a huge weight differential we're seeing here? No, no, it's the same size. Oh man, here it is. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> he just grabbed him by the chin and pulled. And ripped. We'll see it again. So he gnarly. doesn't even have a second it's grip. So gnarly. How's he doing that? They're just behemoth strength. 
can can this guy is there anything this guy can do i mean i i would assume you just got to grab the arm and like gotta, pull the wrist down you and, gotta quit jujitsu yeah <laughs> so, sorry guy <laughs> like you heard Corey. man that is a brutal one all right yeah. so to any of my practice partners or teammates Blame Corey if I start hitting that. That's fair. Oof. Um, speaking of ADCC, of course, uh, two of the three here were ADCC veterans. ADCC Open season mm-hmm. is in the works. ADCC Open took place in Mexico uh, this past weekend. A, cu- a bunch of division winners, but four that I want to shout out, starting with the ADCC veteran himself, uh, John Hansen. John Hansen put up in two matches 63 points. Do you know how hard it is to score 63 points in two matches in ADCC abbreviated rules? The horrifying. Man. Yeah, John Hansen, just a machine. I, I don't know. Letting a multiple time ADCC veteran into the ADCC <laughs> feels, a little, feels I mean, a, little, a little sneaky to me, but I guess it's in the rules, right? It feels very similar to, like, uh, you know, maybe the difference between professional and participant that IBJJF sometimes deals with, where it's like you can have a Felipe Andrew hop into the Rolling. Austin Open, and it's like, all right, sorry, all these hey, man, dads. You, you, signed, <laughs> you signed up for the expert division. That's, That's on you. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I uh, also want to give a call out to Kalen Sabino, uh, who's number one veteran, Kalen Sabino, who submitted all four of his matches to win gold at the ADCC Open in Mexico. Um, Kalen, I, I didn't get the full details on the submissions he won by, but his first three matches combined for 90 seconds. Man, yeah. that's super impressive. I would imagine most of his victories were Gogo Plata's. Um, yeah. Is that his specialty? Callan's a Gogo Plata guy, yeah. Oh, man. He got out. If he got out three dudes in less than 90 seconds, all from Gogo Plata's, give that man more medals than whatever you gave him that weekend. Callan, let us know. Yeah, that's fun. Also want to give a shout-out to Dominic Mejia, another uh, who's number one veteran. Dominic just won uh, his who's number one. Not his debut, technically. He, I, know, I guess now he is uh, 2-0 and oh on mm. who's number one. But... Uh, Dominic also won, I think, three of his four matches via submission. Mm-hmm. And uh, also from Atos, Damian Balderrama won three of his, excuse me, won all three of his matches via submission. Man, all three, very recent. Who's number one? I personally have some people ask me, hey, Connor, how, how would I possibly get on a who's number one, right? Well, these That's names how. these names are already out there, right? Uh, any of the three names that we just threw out are going to be on the ADCC open circuit. So you guys better be sniping these guys, or you at least got to try. They're coming out there and showing exactly why they deserve to be on the undercard, why they deserve to be on the main card for that matter. You're going out there and getting it done in 90 seconds and three matches and just go, go, plata and everyone. Super exciting to see. But one, one last thing. Can you bring up Max Hansen's picture just one sec? This this man is horrifying. Can you imagine Max Hansen? No, 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 John, big bald dude. John Hansen. John Hansen. Can you imagine John Hansen just coming over there from across it, crouched down? Nah, you gotta. There we go. Bring him up. You're at an ADCC Open. You just signed up. You're like, hey, I want to test myself out, and he's on the other side of the map. You drop. You drop out of the division, you let him have it. Yeah. That is a horrifying gentleman right and there. And, man, John is a sniper, too. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he won his first ADCC match, I think, I could be wrong, either injury or pressure yeah. at ADCC <laughs> this year. Uh, yeah. But at, at the ADCC World Championships. Yeah. Um, anyway, before we close out for the day and let you 
get prepared for pans let's take a look at the rest of the upcoming events on this spring's calendar starting of course as we mentioned with the IBJJF Pan Championships March 22nd through 26 kicking off on Wednesday ending on Sunday right after that we will be dropping the first episode of season three of Daisy Fresh that airs on March 29th at midnight so be ready uh stand by your your keyboard your computer there get ready for uh for season three episode one of the final season so exciting yep uh rise invitational 11 on april 1st as is midwest finishers 13 april 8th a week later summit grappling 10 and then just a little while after that finishers survivor series three they've started to announce some of the teams uh of course teams from 10 planet from the vault from all over the northeast region april 29th we officially have IBJJF Brasileiros streamed on Flow Grappling. It will be the first time it's available on Flow Grappling. So the fourth of four uh, IBJJF major tournaments is now here. You can follow along live all the action from Brazil, including a lot of athletes who don't really get the opportunity to travel out here for travel issues or restrictions or whatever. Mm-hmm. They can't make it to Worlds. They can't make it to Pans. They can't make it to Euros. But they are still some of the best in Jiu-Jitsu that can only compete in Brazil. So it's a different look a different uh environment it's going to be a phenomenal tournament as always um also that week april 29th the emerald city invitational this will feature incredibly a 32 man 135 pound division and a 16 woman 100, uh, 135 pound division both for i believe the prize is uh two grand Poo. and then Later on this year, at the beginning of June, the IBJJF World Championships. Again, the fourth of the four major tournaments. We've got the full season this year, uh, and that carries on just next week at Pants. So exciting. Worlds, Brasileiros, we got Pans next week. What more can you ask for? Um, you know, And then Daisy Fresh. Uh, what can you say, uh, aside from everyone, if you have not done your daisy fresh watch parties yet your marathons get them done because daisy fresh season three episode one is on its way speaking of daisy fresh i want to give a special shout out to jacob couch and michael pixley who came together to break my neck last week oh man we'll have footage from that maybe (laughs) did my what did michael pixley do did you do any wrestling stuff he forced me to wrestle the whole so he (laughs) he took me down and just backed away from me yeah. Until he got bored of backing away from me and then showed me how incredible that like that Darce and Anaconda setup are. That is a brutal fix my game to go through. Hats off to you, friend. Uh, uh, I, we got to rebrand fix my game because it's really <laughs> just like send me to the hospital. <laughs> Break my game. Break Tell my me neck. why I'm bad. Anyway, uh, that's it for this episode of the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. Tune in for Pans starting on Wednesday. The Black Belts take the map on Saturday and we will be back here on Monday to recap all of the biggest news from that event. Thanks for watching. Catch you soon.